So we're in Matthew chapter 20, if you want to turn there. Uh, the, this morning, we're going to talk about selfies. Uh, if you don't know what a selfie is, consider yourself in a good spot this morning. Um, most of us know what those are. Those are those pictures you take of yourself, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if you take a picture of yourself. Um, but most people take pictures of themselves and then they share it with their friends and the whole world. And it's not just a, a sharing of a picture of yourself with the whole world. The whole world's supposed to respond. And they're supposed to acknowledge uh, that they like it and in turn like you. Uh, the selfie, the world of a selfie. You know, you have, uh, you have digital photography. Uh, you can do that on your phone, actually. And it has that thing that flips it around, so you, you don't have to flip it around. You just look at it. and So it's all designed to fixate on you. And then you have Facebook, uh, which is designed for you. Uh, you can have all your friends, or at least people you know, or hopefully you know them, uh, be part of your friend on Facebook. You have uh, uh, Twitter, which I don't really understand Twitter. You got to say something smart or something like, I don't know. I don't get it. But then there's Instagram, uh, which I, don't, I know what a telegram is, but Instagram pictures and so on and so forth. And then there's like snap picture or whatever that thing is where you have a picture for a moment and then it just evaporates from all everything all the time and so it's all this complicated world when I was when I was younger when I was younger I, I can imagine it was the same thing it was the same kind of thing but it only happened like once in a while once in a while you can remember when maybe you went to school and you had the the picture packets you know what I'm talking about you have school pictures and then you get your packet of pictures and they get passed out throughout the whole class. And, you know, if you're a young man like myself and you're sitting next to a young lady and you're in fourth, fifth grade and uh, she gets her packet and she looks at her picture and she goes, my pictures are so ugly. And you're, you freeze, like you freeze. You don't know what you're supposed to say next. You, you know, uh, their demands a response. And what you want to say is, yeah, your picture is ugly. But you know you're not supposed to say that. And so you're stalling. You're stalling. And you're looking for friends and family to come bail you out. And you, you hope one of the girl's friends is by you that says, No, no, your picture's beautiful. You're so beautiful. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. You, you go back and forth. And finally, they get to the place where, oh, you know, both of our pictures are bad. And you wonder how you're supposed to fit into this. Unfortunately, this is not an issue of technology. This is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. Moses probably struggled with this with, uh, in, in the desert with his people. Uh, this, this was the same kind of thing. that, that This morning we're going to be talking about selfishness and pride and, and taking first place and, and wanting to be the best and the greatest. And as I, I, I share with you about wanting to be the best and the greatest and most acknowledged, I, I want to say... This is a great message for Bear Valley Church. It's a great message for us. It's not one that's uh, for the church down the road or the church in some other city. Uh, 
It's for us. Uh, we struggle with this here in many different ways and, and many different uh, corners of this church and in our sanctuary and outside of our sanctuary and in our homes. We struggle with this idea of being first and being the greatest and being the best. As we consider this this morning, I want to encourage you uh, that your heart would be open to what God has to speak to you. Most of you have uh, not grown up here. If you have, there's a, pecu- there's a peculiarity to you. Uh, gr- I'm not saying you're weird or anything, but it, uh, most of us have moved from a different place. And most of the time, we have done something great in another place, and we come here uh, as a next step in life. And so we bring this idea of greatness uh, and struggle with that here. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you a, pa- a passage from Matthew chapter 20, starting in ver- verse 20 down through verse 28. God's word says this, Then, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee come up, uh, come up to him with her sons. Kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to grant but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten heard it, they were indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would cause us to realize that this message is for us this morning, that we would not sit in these pews and think, I'm glad so-and-so's here. I'm glad my, my wife or my children need, need to hear this. God, may, we, uh, may you speak to us this morning through your word. May your spirit be our teacher. And God, we thank you uh, for this message this morning. We pray you'd bless it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What a passage. You, I, I did read correctly that it starts out, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee. You get in the picture? The disciples, the disciples, uh, one of the disciples' mother brings her two grown sons. Now, now, as I'm thinking about this this week, I, I thought to myself, this reminds me of Little League. Uh, uh, a mom comes and she says, uh, Coach, can you come here for a minute? Uh, I want my son to be catcher. 
and my other son to be pitcher. And after they get done pitching, could they go to shortstop? Because these are the, like, like these are the places of importance. And, and they should probably bat lead off. Or at least maybe third or fourth. Second, maybe if you're in a... But, but th- these are the spots for my son. I'm reminded that uh, in Little League, uh, it's kind of weird for a mom to say that. But for grown men, for grown men... The disciples, late 20s, early 30s, somewhere in there, they're grown men. Their mother's coming to Jesus. If you look over in the book of Mark, you can see that, that most likely the, the disciples had instructed. This was a plot and a plan. Hey, mom, hey, mom, could you go to Jesus on our behalf? We'll be standing there, but you ask Jesus. Uh, just a tip if you're late 20s, 30s. Don't have your mom do things like this, okay? It's time for you, if you have a question, ask it yourself. Moms, if you have a son that's in their 20s, 30s, it is not time for you to ask questions like this, okay? Just a little for both sides there, okay? For young men and for moms, okay? There's a time where that's appropriate. It's not when you're in your 20s, early 30s, okay? So so you look at this and... Uh, James and John, their mother, comes to Jesus. Um, quite possibly, uh, could have been a relative, uh, the mother being related uh, to Jesus. But she comes, obviously, uh, doing the math, probably older than Jesus. And so, knowing how Jesus has treated people with requests, and especially women, uh, she comes, she comes, and she comes to Jesus. She comes in a, a humble state. She comes kneeling and respectful and asks uh, for a favor. She has a question for him. Uh, I'll say it this way. There's much to hate about this request. There's much to hate about it. Uh, I've already mentioned when your mother comes for requesting, that's not so good. It's not good for grown men to uh, let their mother continue to do their talking it's, and you look at this and you, you, you understand that her request, as well as her son's understanding of position, they thought it was just going to be like the Roman Empire. They understood power structure and the Romans were in charge and, and they realized that the, the new kingdom was coming. And so they're saying, okay, uh, in this kingdom, I... I I want my sons to be on the right and the left. The two most prominent positions in your kingdom, I think my sons should have it, James and John. That's awful, isn't it? Because what she's saying and what they're saying is we should be the best. We should be the most important. Uh, we're not as important as you, Jesus, but we've understood that you're presenting a new kingdom, that you're a new king. When you become king, when you really take over, we should be your two most important people in your kingdom. That's awful, isn't it? Because it assumes that both the mother and the sons thought that that was their place. We think that way sometimes. We look at positions and we uh, look to the right and to the left and we say, well, I'm smarter than them. I'm stronger than them. I'm more experienced than them. 
I should be the one to have that position. And so the mother goes thinking that she can maneuver and leverage Jesus to the place where her sons would have these two great spots. There's much to hate about this request. It's not all that we should hate. There's much to love about this request too. And you say, well, what is there to love about it? It sounds awful. It sounds like I missed the point. There's a couple of things I want to tell you about this request from the mother as well as the sons. They were confident in the kingdom coming. They were confident. Jesus had been saying, they'd been following his teaching, and he'd been promising that a new kingdom is coming. He'd been presenting it, and it wasn't happening, right? People were coming, and they'd say, well, this is going to be it. And then the people go away. And now they're, they're on their way to Jerusalem, and we have this request. But yet, at the Jerusalem, they're, they're thinking, yeah, but he said that he's going to go, be persecuted, suffer, and then die. And How's all this going to come about? I, I don't get it. So they were confident, even in light of things not going their way. They were confident in this coming kingdom. And the other great thing that I, I look at this is that they didn't ask for money. They didn't ask for position. They didn't say, make me great in the Roman kingdom. They make me, you know, make me elevate in this area to be the most important person here. No, they wanted to be great in God's kingdom. They looked at what Jesus was doing and he says, he's doing something new. I want to be in this kingdom. I want to uh, be great in this kingdom, not in the one present. As we look at this, this was a mother's request. And in verse 22, you see our servant Savior's response. Jesus answered in verse 22, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? As Jesus uh, responded to the woman, but probably looking over her to the men, James and John, he said, are you, are you able to drink of the cup that, that I am going to drink, this cup that I have? Uh, in the Old Testament, this idea of the cup was the path or the road of suffering. You also see later in, in the book of Matthew, as well as the other Gospels, you see that Jesus refers to his suffering and really ultimately going to the cross as a, a cup to bear, a cup to to drink of and so he he says to them he says are are you able are you willing to drink of the cup that i am drinking of that i'm to drink of it's interesting their response they uh their response wasn't well let me think about that and i'll get back to you it doesn't tell how much time had lapsed between the question and the answer but as you look at this, look at this passage, it says he asked the question uh, about drinking the cup, and they said to him, we are able, we are able. Now let me take a, just a time out there. I got to go, you know, uh, yesterday was a full day. I got to go to two weddings yesterday, two weddings. Some of you men were like, whoa, that sounds like a long day. It was, it's good to go to weddings. It's good to go to weddings, especially if you're married, to remember what you signed up for. Okay, so remember what you signed up for. So uh, one wedding, I got to stand this close 
to the ones making vows. And the other one, I was in the back row. Both great vantage points and as, I, as I think of things. But as I, I think about this, almost every wedding that I go to, uh, there's a lot of things that are said at weddings, right? Repeat after me's, right? Vows that are taken. And, and as a pastor, I'm, I'm sweating bullets. I'm sweating bullets. Not for myself. I've gone over this enough times that it's not that big of a deal for me anymore. But I'm looking at this young couple and I go, you don't know what you're doing. We've tried to prepare you and talk to you, but, but and, and I'm thinking in my mind as a pastor of things that God has brought me through since being married. Um, my wife's been the greatest thing that's happened to me, but there's been things in our marriage that have been difficult, not mostly regarding me, okay? Uh, but it's God's path and the things that we've gone through. And then I know all of you. Then I know all of you. And I know struggles that you've had, both uh, financially, of health issues, uh, of struggling with relationships, and extended family things. And some of your children have been a pain to you. You know who you are, right? Uh, and, and, I, and I look at this. This is all, and, and, and the commitments that make in marriage are big. They're blank check type things. For richer or for poorer. For better or for worse. Sickness and in health. And it seems like when we're at a wedding, we're always thinking of the richer the better, the health. I mean, these two weddings, by the way, they were both outdoor. It's crazy enough to do an outdoor wedding on April 2nd in Tehachapi. And yet it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day. So the disciples, uh, they're, they're seeking position. They're seeking position with Jesus. And Jesus says, are you, are you able... Uh, to drink of the cup of suffering that I am going to drink of. And they're like, sure, yeah, we're there. I do. I do. And yet they didn't know what they were saying, but they were confident that they would be able to do it. They didn't know what was over the hill, but in their zeal of not knowing about life, they said, sure, that's no problem. And Jesus calmly responds to them, you will drink of my cup. But to sit on the right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. Jesus knew the path that they would have. He, he knew where they would go, the suffering that they... He knew His suffering, but He also knew that following after Him would lead them. And, and it did, too, as we look at James and John. Uh, James being one who was martyred and John being exiled. And the other disciples as well, going through suffering because they were connected to Jesus. And as they looked, looked at this, they thought that maybe this zeal for Jesus would get them positioned. And Jesus pulls back once again and shares what we should keep in mind throughout his ministry. That, there, that Jesus was following the plan of the Father. And it was the fathers to grant position in his kingdom. Well, you can imagine if you were one of the other disciples, how you would respond, and you would respond how the disciples responded. How did they respond? 
Verse 24, when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. They were annoyed and jealous that they had stepped forward and taken position. And, and you, you know why they were annoyed and jealous? Because they thought that they deserved those positions, right? And this is what we do. We look around. Some of you are quieter, and you look at people pushing for position, and you go, oh, they're so ridiculous. Like they would get that position, that they would get that job, that they would get that placement. I should really get it. This is what we struggle with. This idea is who, who is great? Who deserves position? And the ten were bothered by the two. This is how Jesus responded. And now he gives the key to greatness in verse 25. The key to greatness. Now, I... This is a great passage. This is so important for Bear Valley Church. The key to greatness. Jesus wants to explain to them what it is to be first, to be great, to be prominent. In verse 25, he says, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over him. He starts by explaining greatness by saying this, the Gentiles have a way of greatness. When you think of the Gentiles, especially in the, the Gospels as Jesus referred to them, but all, throughout the New Testament, most of the time this is the, the case, it, it's not the Jews and the Gentiles so much. It's those who follow after God and those who don't have relationship with God. And what he's saying here is that there is a, a non-kingdom way of leadership. A non-kingdom way of leadership. It's not Jesus' way of leadership. There's the Jesus way, and there's the, the one that is not Jesus' method or, or way. And, and that's true today. That's true today. Um, I'm interested in leadership. I'm interested in it. I'm fascinated when people uh, are known to be great leaders and how they do things and what, what they say and the way they treat people. It, it's fascinating to me, but I, I need to remember this one thing that there's Jesus' method for leadership and then there's the other one. It's not Jesus' method for leadership. And, and, and I want to say it this way. When you're out in the world, when you're out in the world, those other ways of leadership might be, might, they might work. There might be some success to them. There might be some uh, seeming of power that comes to leadership. But I want to I warn you with this, as Jesus has warned us, that's not his method. He's got a different way of doing it. A fear for Bear Valley Church I fear for myself as well that I would start looking at the world's methods and say, hey, that's a great idea. That, that, that's the way I should do it. He, he highlights just a couple of things about the world's way of leadership. He says, they lord it over them. They lord it over them. It's the idea that uh, I'm the boss. I'm the boss. They lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. It's not just that they're the boss and say they're the boss, but there's, there's power and punishment behind that. And I want to tell you, 
That's not Jesus' method of leadership. It's the world's way. And I fear that uh, somehow the world's way and the world's success would somehow come into the church and we'd think that's great here. We would think that that's the path of greatness here. And not just here at Bear Valley Church, but that somehow it would be the right way to do leadership in your home with your wife and with your children. The way you instruct your kids and how you raise them up, that, that this would somehow be the method that as you go out in the community that you would say, I'm just going to, since I'm out in the community and this is the, the world, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to play in their field. I want to tell you, Jesus has a different way of doing it. And so we look at God's word and he first says, there's a different way. And let me explain it to you. Verse 26, it shall not be so among you. He, he makes the distinction. The world's way shouldn't be your way. Okay. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. He uses two different words there. He says, uh, if you want it, I want to say this too. Greatness in and of itself, seeking to be great is not wrong. It's where you're seeking to be great. If you seek to be great in the eyes of the world, I want to tell you, you're, gonna, you're up for grabs. You're in a dangerous spot. You'll make sacrifices and compromises all the time. But the idea of being great in his kingdom, he doesn't say you shouldn't be that. He said there's a different way to do this. Well, how is it? How does it work? He, he first uses the word servant, servant. And really, servant, slave is kind of a... a you could translate those different ways. But the first, there are two different words there. First one is servant. It's the idea of a waiter. A waiter. H- how many of you like to go out to dinner? I love it. I love it. There's just a, something about the experience of it, right? Uh, you sit down and somebody comes and they say, what would you like to drink? And, and you, you can say whatever you want whatever you want, and they'll go get it. They'll go get it. And they'll come bring it to you. And you say, uh, you know, I, I just want water. And you say, can you just put a few cubes of ice in it with a slice of lemon, please? You know, I'm from Santa Barbara. Put a lemon in there, please. Uh, and and it's, it's for you. It's for you. And then you get a menu, and, and you look through the menu, and you say, uh, well, what are you having? And, and you say to your wife or the people you're eating with, what are you having? And they say this, and you say to yourself, well, I don't have to have that because this is for me. This is for me. And I can get whatever I want. And I want uh, this, and I, I want you to cook it a certain way and not too much of this and not too much of that. Yeah, I'll, ha- I'll have the salad, but don't put that gross dressing on there. Put the one that I want, that I want. And then they bring it out to you and they ask you if it's okay. And there's this thing that's so great about eating out that it's all about you. That it's all about you. And then the, probably the, for some of you, this is the best part of the whole meal. Uh, at the end, the, the dishes, like, they just go away into a magic place. They just go away into a magic place. You don't know what happens to them. You don't know if they throw them away or whatever. But it, you don't have to deal with them. And it just takes it, bye-bye. I want to tell you, unfortunately in this passage, I, 
I want the position at the table, but Jesus wants me at the position of the person running back and forth to the kitchen. Uh, there's a thing that I, I do, and it's not because I'm a great servant, because I'm not. I'm not a great servant. But sometimes, and maybe you've heard me, me say this, uh, you've called, and I, I get a phone call at the church, or I see your number on my phone, and I pick up and I'll say, hello, how can I serve you today? How can I serve you today? And I, and I say that, not because I'm a great servant, but I'm trying to remember, Jesus has a spot for me. That people aren't meant to serve me, I'm meant to serve them. I'm meant to serve them. And this idea of this waiter going back and forth, that I'm supposed to take care of the people. And this is the method of leadership. This is the method of greatness. Jesus says, if you want to be great, this is how you'll do it, by serving, by serving. He uses another word uh, here. He says, uh, if you look down at it, he talks about the rulers and then he says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever shall be great among you must be your servant. And whoever is first among you must be your slave. That second word there is the, the idea of the lowest of the low. The lowest of the low slave. It's the idea of you're not in charge of anybody because everybody is above you. It's a picture of the dirtiest of jobs you are going to do. As you think about this, uh, this, this may happen to you all the time. Uh, maybe you walk around here and, and you see uh, areas of the church that are a little shabby. And, and you, you see the concrete or you maybe see like leaves or weed. You probably don't have any weeds at your house, right? You know, some of you are going, how come there are weeds here? Because they grow, okay? Um, and, and you think to yourself, somebody should take care of these. Somebody should take care of these weeds. And I, I want to tell you as a pastor, I look at that too and I say, yeah, somebody should take care of it. And we could stand there for a while looking at each other and going, who should take care of these leaves? Somebody. I mean, we're looking for somebody. We're looking for somebody. You may do this at your home. You may, uh, in the morning, you may get up and the coffee's not made and you think to yourself, somebody should have made this coffee. Or maybe it's the dishes. You see dishes that are dirty and you say, somebody should make, uh, take care of these dishes. Maybe you go out to your garage and it's a mess and you say, somebody should do this. Uh, you should have had three boys, right? <laughs> They'll clean it every, no, they won't. Uh, but you, you think about these things and, and you think somebody should do this. And what you're doing is you're connecting a few things. Somebody should be the servant to me. Somebody should be a slave in this situation. And I want to tell you, Jesus agrees with you. Somebody should. And it's you. It's his method of leadership. Because if you want to be great, you're a servant type waiter, meeting the needs of people running back and forth. If, if you want to be first, this idea, he says, I'll show you how to be first. It's simple. Be, be the least. Do the dirty jobs. This is how uh, it looks in my kingdom. It's different from the Roman Empire. It's different from the United States of America. It's a different way of thinking. Jesus uh, 
I think we can get it from this, but Jesus uses the most powerful of illustrations that, that you could possibly have in verse 28. He says, even the Son of Man, even the King, the one that I, the one, this is my kingdom. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to do what? And to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus says, follow me, follow me. If you want to get a picture of what this service looks like, this idea of, of slaving, it's, it's real simple. Follow me. I, I'm the greatest. I'm the king. And what does the king do? I didn't, the king didn't come just to set up his kingdom so they could have a lot of slaves and they could do. And it's great to be king, right? We all, we all like that idea of being king, that everyone serves you. And if you don't like the way they serve, off with their head. We love that picture. We love being powerful like that. Yet that's not the picture Jesus gave. That's not the picture that Jesus lived. He lived in such a way. He came to this earth. He, he came not for the purpose of everyone serving him, but so that he could serve us. And not just serve in any old way. But he gave. He gave. He gave his life a ransom for many. That word ransom, there's a lot that can be said there. But it's this idea of paying the price of freeing us. Paying the price that, that set us free. Paying a price we could not pay. As we look at this this morning, I want to give you three things that hopefully will help you get your arms around this idea this morning and change your way of thinking um, that God would work in us now. First of all is this. Ask yourself this question. In what ways and places am I seeking to be great? In what ways and places am I seeking to be great? That should get us to the idea that, um, you know, that, that the idea of being great um, has to take a different path. Who am I looking? Who's the approval that, that I'm looking for to say, yes, you're great? And what venues? Secondly, to remember this, that there's two kinds of greatness, worldly greatness and kingdom greatness. Worldly greatness and kingdom greatness. To, set, to, to put those in your mind side by side and build a huge brick wall in between them and say, I want to be on this side of the wall. I, I want to be caring about and wanting kingdom greatness. I do not want worldly greatness. I won't seek it. I, I won't cherish it. I won't let it tickle my ears. I won't pursue it. I will pursue kingdom greatness. And then thirdly, as we look at this, to keep these three words in our hearts and minds and identify ourselves as this. I am a servant. I am a slave. I am a giver. Even, even to the point of my own life. This is who Jesus has made me. This is what it is to be a part of his kingdom. I, I want to tell you, if you think of yourself as a king, queen, boss, head man in charge, whatever, it's going to affect the way you live. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect the way you treat your kids and your grandkids. It's going to affect the way you set up your life. It's going to affect your schedule. But if you see yourself as a servant of the Most High God, as a slave of the King of Kings, 
as a giver to whatever his kingdom needs, this will change your life. And it will show you to be a part of his kingdom and not a part of this world's. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Um, God, I pray for our affections that you would change them. God, sometimes as we pursue things that are of this world, that are perishing, that are temporal, as we seek after them, we're convinced this is what's going to change us. This is what's going to make us happy. And you've promised that fulfilling life, that true life, will be found in relationship with your son Jesus, part of his kingdom, serving him. God, do your work in your church today. As we've heard your word, may it continue to marinate in our hearts and change us, change the way we think and the way we act and the worship that we give to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I ask that the men would come forward and make ready the table as we uh, worship the Lord with communion. This time of communion, uh, what a great time it is, a sweet time, because what it is, it's a reminder of what Jesus has done for us, how he has served us, he has been a servant to us, and how that should affect this next week, this day, this week, what we should remember. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, it doesn't matter what church you're a part of, uh, we'd ask that you participate with us as we celebrate what the Lord has done. Uh, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we're grateful that you're here today. We ask that you would uh, use this time to consider your own life before uh, a holy God and your need for Him. We thank you for coming. But now is a time as we gather together that we would remember the sacrifice, the, the payment price that ransomed us, that, that did what nobody else could do. Jesus gave his life for our sins.
before Jesus went to the cross, he gathered with his disciples for a meal. And at that meal, he gave thanks and he took the bread, he broke it, and he explained to them that this was to be a remembrance of his body broken for them. We do this this morning, remembering the body of our Lord. In a similar way, Jesus also took the cup and he explained to his disciples his blood was going to be spilt, that this was the, to be reminded of the blood of the new covenant he was making with them. We do this this morning, remembering the blood of our Lord.
Please stand with me. Father God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, that Jesus served us. It's hard for us to understand and grasp, but we do know this, that we should be servants of you in all that we do. Do your work in your church now. Uh, do your work in our hearts. Readjust us. Cause us to have joy in serving, knowing that this is not futility of life. This is truly living. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Two things before we're dismissed. First of all, you can participate in an offering uh, as you leave today. For those who are needy in our church, we ask that you participate in that. Uh, the second thing, uh, this is just for men. Uh, man's camp is coming. Uh, women are not invited, not allowed nor invited. Um, but we'd love for you to go. I know some of you have signed up. If you could uh, pay and uh, sign up in the lobby afterwards, it's going to be great. Give me a great time. Our, our previous, our, one of the pastors that I got to work with way back in the day, Mike Boys, is going to be there. He's going to be sharing with us. It's going to be awesome. Uh, so I'd encourage you men to come. You are dismissed. Have a great day.